Hey everybody, Dave Hagen here. Today we're going to talk about Charlie Munger's three secrets to achieving success. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, or the TFWP as we like to call it. We're coming to you from beautiful downtown Van Nuys. Hey, look, it's Brian Reed. Really? Where? (laughs) (laughs) Sitting over there to my right, as always. Good to have you here, Brian. Good to be here, David. You know, I got to tell you a little bit about something. I was looking at an article this week on Make It, the Make It website on CNBC, and it was chalking about our good friend, Charlie Munger. Now, we love billionaire Charlie Munger. Who wouldn't love a billionaire, right? He's vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. We love, for that matter, Warren Buffett, who's chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And both have long been considered a source of wisdom for professionals and and students alike. We have talked about them several times. Uh, They are in our pantheon of, um, you know, important, thoughtful Um, financial advisors, um, and we want to talk about them from time to time. So when I saw an article by Taylor Locke about advice from Charlie Munger, I just couldn't resist. So I dug into it and read it, and I thought, hmm, this would be interesting to talk about on an episode of the TFWP. So here, here goes. This article talks about a speech made by Munger in 1996. He was asked to give a talk to a law school class at Stanford. So he's talking to uh, a bunch of dummies. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, here they they bring in Munger to talk, and they gave a signed reading for when he came in to talk. Because he said, well, you, you know, you were assigned to listen to uh, or to read, uh, you know, Warren Buffett's annual message and also, uh, um, you know, the message of the chairman of um, uh, Jack Welsh who was the chairman of GE at the time. And so I guess they have, they have required reading even for guest speakers. I thought it was pretty interesting. But this speech was similar to something that he had said to the um, University of Southern California Marshall School of Business students about two years earlier. So I figured that if Charlie's out there giving advice uh, to law students at Stanford and to business students at SC we're probably in pretty rich territory. And the article says that in his speech, as Munger emphasized three key pieces of advice. Now, I got to hear this, right? Because I told you, I saw Charlie Munger recently in, in Omaha, Nebraska. He must be 93, 94. He sits there, he's a little hunched over, got these thick glasses on, and he is sharp as a whip. This guy is really a model of stamina. So I will take advice from Charlie Munger. He's already, you know, he's already given away a huge part of his fortune. And that's why he's not in the list of 25 wealthiest people in the United States. Warren is, but he's not because he's already given away 
in part because he's already given away so much of it. That, that's pretty cool. All right, so what are the three pieces of advice that he gave? Number one, figure out what your talents and advantages are. It's interesting. He talked about the importance of honing in on your individual talents. Munger told the students, each of you will have to figure out where your talents lie, and you'll have to use your advantages. If you try to succeed in what you're worst at, you're going to have a very lousy career. I can almost guarantee it. Now, it took Munger many years to finally land a career that he took advantage of with all of his talents. You know, originally he was, uh, had a law firm. Uh, he was a lawyer. And he didn't think to leave the law until his friend, Warren Buffett, talked to him about using all of his potentials and coming to work with him. Buffett's been quoted as saying that law didn't really use Munger's full talents. And he asked the students, continuing on with his speech, why would you want to play a competitive game in a field where you have no advantage? Maybe a disadvantage instead of in a field where you have a clear advantage. And you know, I never thought about it that way, Brian. I always thought, well, you should do what you like. I'm thinking about it like a true millennial. Do what you like, do what you want, you'll be successful. And I never thought about doing what you like as a competitive advantage. Do, doing what you're good at as a competitive advantage. And you know, like so many times, he's right. I think he's exactly right. Um, for example, you know, I, I should never be a singer. That's not my competitive <laughs> advantage. In fact, it's, it's pretty painful. Um, I don't know, Brian, what would, what would be a, a talent that uh, you shouldn't uh, pursue? Um, I should definitely not be a singer um, as well. No. <laughs> and I should definitely not be a hand model. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. I have a sixth finger on my right hand. So Uh, people have mentioned that to me. It got me a role in the uh, Princess Bride. So that was a good thing. Uh, Yeah. You're still getting residuals from that. Yeah, still do. Sure, sure. (laughs) But what if, what if you don't like what you're really good at? What if you really don't like where your competitive advantage is? Now that's a, that's a more difficult question. It seems to me. Maybe what you need to do is focus on ways to, to use that advantage in a way that you're, you're still using it, but maybe, I don't know, maybe not as annoying to you. Because I think if you go and do what you're really bad at, you know, you're not going to do well. Me as an artist, I would definitely starve. <laughs> I would definitely, I'm a stick figure kind of guy, you know. Um, but I thought that that was a really interesting thing to think about what you like and what you're good at. Um, is a competitive advantage. You know, he says that that he and Buffett only invest in businesses that they understand or, or have a knack for or have advantages in. You know, that's why in a previous email that we talked about, I said, you know, I, I wouldn't invest in Bitcoin mostly because I just don't understand it and I'm not going to invest in something that I don't understand. But um, I think they've taken that philosophy to heart in terms of the, the kinds of things that they invest in because they tend to invest normally in certain kinds of things, things that are companies that are producing things, uh, firms that are are producing financial services. I mean, really, the different kinds of industries that they're in are not that broad. But when they find something that they understand, that they like, like insurance, oh my goodness, um, you know, they dig in and they, and they dig in deep. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Number two, learn how to handle your mistakes. 
Now, the article says Munger prides himself at being able to learn how to go out and cut his losses when he makes mistakes. He says, you can learn to make fewer mistakes than other people and how to fix your mistakes faster when you do make them. But there's no way that you can live an inadequate life without making many mistakes. Now, I don't know about you, Brian. I hate to make mistakes. It, it just kills me. But um, I think that he's right. It's, it's more about how you handle those mistakes than dwelling on um, you know, how you got into them or dwelling on the, the mistake itself. You know, he went on to tell the Stanford Law students that regardless of how much they learn, making these mistakes or making mistakes is unavoidable. What matters is how you react to these mistakes. The article goes on to state that it's important to know when to abandon a project that isn't working out. He said, failure to handle psychological denial is a common way for people to go broke. You've made an enormous commitment to something, you've poured effort and money in, and the more you put in, the more that the whole consistency principle makes you think, now it has to work. If I just put in a little more, then it'll work. Well, he said people go broke that way. He told the Wall Street Journal in just this May, part of the reason I've been a little more successful than most people is I'm good at destroying my own best love ideas. Interesting stuff, Charlie. Interesting stuff. That's a similar phrase that's used uh, out here in Tinseltown, Hollywood. Yeah, meaning? Um, when he talks about, I'm good at destroying my own best loved ideas. Mm -hmm. I have multiple friends who are writers. And they're, when they're writing something, there's the phrase is, you got to be willing to kill your babies. Ooh. And that's literally the ideas that you have, you know, a story or a scene or a plot line or something mm -hmm, that you've mm -hmm. really tried to work into something and it just doesn't work. And no matter how much you keep trying, eventually your friends will come along and go, look, you got, you got to let it go. Pull it. It's going to pull you down. It's going to pull everything down. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, it's just not working. And there was another, uh, article um or there, there was an article i read about startups and the trick is to fail fast yeah that makes sense before you, everyone else's money's gone yeah figure it out you know early that it's not working and then like he's talking about here adjust 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 yeah yeah i remember years ago uh wolfgang puck um had um some restaurants out here in los angeles and, um, you know, they, they just weren't catching on. I think it was a, a craft brewery, but before craft brewery was a thing. And they opened up this fabulous restaurant, spent lavishly on the design. And it just, it just wasn't taking off as quickly as they thought. And they closed it. And everyone stood around and went, whoa, whoa, they hardly even gave it a chance. But maybe he was following that advice of if it doesn't look like it's going to go and you don't see something over the hill... Just kill it and be done with it. Move on to something else. Makes kill sense. your babies. <laughs> Could we say that in some other way? That sounds so final. <laughs> it also sounds like oh, illegal. It also sounds illegal. Yeah, yeah. Brian said that, everyone. Brian said that. All right. <laughs> Number three, saying, I don't know is a perfectly fine answer. Now, yeah, I like this. He said, nobody expects you to know everything about everything. When you don't know and you don't have any special competence, don't be afraid to say so. And I would add on to that. You say, but I'll find out. You know, one I of like the things that. That, that I learned when I was practicing law is you can't know everything. It's way too broad. 
And I think clients appreciated when you said, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out. And they appreciated the honesty of that. You know, back when I was a kid, I remember um, we were, um, as a family, we were out uh, camping and we were looking at a logging operation. And we had some question about how they dealt with the logs or where they were going or what kind of wood was in the logs or that kind of a thing. And we asked the, the ranger, you know, well, what, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out. And he walked over to one of the guys driving the big old trucks and made the guy turn off the big old truck and said, <laughs> hey, what kind of wood are you running over there? And he found out the answer and came back and, and told us. So, um, you know, I think that it's perfectly legitimate to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out, or I don't have enough information to make, to even to make an opinion. One of the things I see on television is you can turn to any channel and people will give you opinions about stuff they know nothing about. <laughs> Every single channel almost. And it would be refreshing for them to say, well, I really don't know, but you know, let's look at some polling. Let's look at some statistics. Let's look at something. Let's look, let's talk to someone with some special background, something like that. Yeah, but where's the, where are the ratings? Where are the that? ratings? Yeah, so true. So true. I think the same is true when you're making investment decisions. You know, obviously, um, you need to find out the answers to those. And if you don't know the answers, you know, don't invest. Just like the, the Bitcoin, don't, don't invest if you don't get it, if you don't have the answer. Munger relates to uh, a statement from Jack Welsh, who was the former CEO of General Electric. And he says that he showed him the best way to say, I don't know. And he said, when asked about making decisions about, you know, what to buy or what not to buy, Welch would say, I don't have any special competence that would enable me to answer that question. And I thought that's a pretty thoughtful way to respond. I know Jack Welsh is held in one of the, the pantheon of, of famous and successful business people in the United States. And I think there's stuff that we can, uh, we can learn, you know. At least in Munger's opinion, uh, this was the best way to react when, when asked about an unknown topic. So I think that that's something to think about. You know, Munger finally said, I try to get rid of people who confidently answer questions about which they really don't have any real knowledge. And I'm sure that we all know people or have people like that in our life. And Munger, Munger gets rid of them. Um, it's always easy. It's nice to have yes people around you, but if they don't know what they're talking about, they can get you in a jam. So there's some advice from Charlie Munger. You know, I think that we can learn a lot from people that have done well, especially people that have done exceedingly well, especially people that espouse, um, you know, uh, thoughtful and, and, and basic um, philosophies. So we can learn a lot from people like Charlie Munger, from people like Warren Buffett. We're going to do a show on some of Warren Buffett's advice here in a couple of weeks. But I think that it can be very illuminating and we can learn and be better people from carrying these kinds of comments and these thought processes with us. This is Dave Hagen, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. As an additional bonus, each month, 
Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. Hey, before we go to an email, I just want to remind everybody you can go to our our website, thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. That's thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. And you can ask a question just by clicking on the button. But maybe more importantly, we've got some pictures of myself with some famous people that I know. And, uh, you know, there's a picture of Warren and Buffett and myself and uh, also myself and the, the uh, former commander-in-chief. So check it out. Go to the website. Um, you know, I, I like to brag about the fact that I know uh, famous people, and you'll see, see pictures of me with a couple of famous people there. So should be interesting. Um, let's, go to, uh, let's go to questions, Brian. You got one? I do have one. Uh, this is from Robert, and Robert writes in, Dave, I just left my job. I couldn't do it anymore. However, I had a 401k plan with my employer, and they told me that I can leave my money in their 401k, or I could take it out and put it in uh, a rollover account. Your thoughts? Wow, here's what I would do. I'd get the money out of there. Um, you know, you, you certainly can keep the money in the 401k, leave it behind for a period of time. If they're getting a good rate of return, you're almost tempted to, to leave it there. But um, I think it's a matter of, of control and, and um, you know, proximity to your money. I would I would take it out. You don't know the people. It sounds like there's some issue why you just didn't want to be there anymore. Um, certainly they can't take your money. They can't spend your money. Um, and you don't know who's investing it necessarily. But uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't leave them behind. I wouldn't tempt anybody. I would take the money. They'll give you a check. If you don't put it into another retirement device, it's going to be taxable. You could even have a penalty for taking that money out. So don't do that. Make sure that you immediately take it to someplace like a TD Ameritrade or a, a Schwab or a um, you know an E-Trade or one of these places and tell them that this is retirement money, that it's uh, taken out of a 401k. They'll put it in a a rollover IRA, I believe, is the name of the, the account. And then you will be able to make those investment decisions on that money. And, of course, don't you make the investment decisions on that money unless you're just coming out of, like, Goldman Sachs or something. <laughs> um, you can talk to an advisor. They will give you a number of places where you can put it, uh, make a decision. We like ETFs, which are, are, are like uh, uh, mutual funds, but not run necessarily by a specific person. They can model the, the Dow Jones index, the Russell 200 index. Um, they even have indexes that, um, that parrot uh, certain industries, uh, foreign businesses, uh, electronic industries, et cetera, et cetera. Pick what you like, look at their track record and pick one. And then I like to say set it and forget it. Maybe you look at it every year or so. Maybe you follow it in the newspaper a little bit. But you just let it accumulate over a period of time and trust that uh, good things are going to happen with that. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't leave money behind. You don't know where that company's going. What's going to happen? Um, and I, I certainly think if you've left them, and, and even if it was on great terms, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily leave that money behind. So that's my two cents. That's what I would do. Get the money <laughs> and put it in an account where you know Get the know money and at. run. Get the money, <laughs> honey. <laughs> See, remember? Things I shouldn't do. Thing, Sing. There you go. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't that good, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. And you've got a master's at this stuff, right? 
Not in the whole singing part. Not in the whole singing no, part. The more the spoken part. Yeah, there you go. So here's um, something that this guy's email has got me thinking about. What if he had gotten a bonus? Let's say he left on good terms. Yeah. And they gave him a $20,000 severance package. Maybe they let him go. Right. Cash. It's a bonus. So let's say 25% for taxes, probably a little light, but whatever. So he's left with $15,000. Yep. Now he could put that into a, a Roth and max out his contributions for the year like that. Yeah. But what if he needs a car? And cash is king. And he could go buy a car for $15,000. Yeah. Uh, pretty decent. You know, it's not going to be top of the line, right. but it'll be sturdy and reliable. Yep. So you take that $15,000, put it into an IRA, and like you always say, it can double, you know, seven years, or if, if you wait 10 years, at 7%. Right. What do you think? I don't know. What a great opportunity to throw money in the bank and let it start multiplying, especially if, if the person's younger. Um, you know, a great opportunity and certainly hard to, um, you know, pass that opportunity up. But, 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 but if the car that he's got really doesn't work and he's going to have to be very real with himself, does it, is that car really in need of replacement or does he want a nicer car? But if the car is in need of replacement... He should get the car. He should cover that expense, especially if he's not going to be working for some period of time while he's looking for another job. Um, he'll have more viability, be able to pick a better job, not have to jump at the next thing because he will have transportation. Fifteen grand isn't an inordinate amount to pay for a vehicle. In fact, I think it's very modest. So I think that, you know, what I would do in this case, I'd go against the general rule of, you know, throwing a nice little chunk of capital in the bank and watching it start to compound. But I would, uh, you know, I would definitely get the car. I would, when he gets the new job, I would start saving for the new car that's going to need to be replaced it three, four years down the line. And then I would start putting money um, into that retirement account, whether it's a Roth or an IRA or, or any kind of device. But um, you got to have pretty good transportation, especially in California, because, you know, how else are you going to do traffic if you don't have a car? I don't know. That's what I would do. Um, yeah, yeah, spend the money on a depreciating asset, but I think it's, it's got to be done. Now, unless, I mean, unless, let's talk about another alternative. Throw it in the account, get the money, and just Uber for a while. You know, I know someone that uh, his car came off of a lease. He wasn't listening to me. And uh, uh, he said, well, I'm not going to get a car for a little while, and I'm just going to see how much it would cost me to Uber around town. So, you know, he lived maybe 10 miles away from the office and, uh, uh, you know, would have to go places during the day periodically. And he said that he was spending less on his Uber fee, about 300 a month, than he would have spent on a, you know, a car lease payment and insurance and all the other stuff. Hmm. Now, he had another car at home. I mean, his wife had a car that she was using and controlling. So it's not like he was without, but... Um, you know, his transportation expense became very finite, became very fixed. And at the same time, he could be building that money up in the bank. I don't know. That's something to think about. 
Uh, I don't know, you could do it really long term, five years or something like that, but you could do it maybe for a couple of years, maybe three, four, five years, get some of that compounding. Maybe by three, four, five years, you've got that new job and you're able to start saving up, or maybe you're going to have a company car or something like that. You don't know. So that that might be something to think about, depending upon what someone's transportation needs were. But if the question is just as you asked it straight up, yeah, I, I think reluctantly, yeah. I had you pegged going the other way. Really? Is I that did. right? Yeah. I, I, you probably thought I was going to say, get a, get a $2,000 moped. <laughs> <laughs> Better yet, they've got these electric mopeds that I saw for like two grand. That would be arriving in style. That's a death trap. Yeah, well, you know. But you could do you could do traffic. You could do traffic on it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one would, no one would come near you. <laughs> oh man! All right, that's all the time that uh, we have. This is Dave Hagen, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.